Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Well, good morning, Bridge Church. We uh, Something that we are doing is we are continuing to open up uh, our desire to see us grow in prayer and in worship. Uh, if you were here early, uh, you were here to see us. Uh, I came up really just to encourage us to understand worship. Uh, I was ineffective in my singing, praise the Lord. But uh, but it, but it was really it was really to um, I think that singing was never the goal of worship, right? It was never it was never about being a performance. It was always about um, giving it to the Lord. So if you didn't like it, it wasn't for you. So that's what you do when you're bitter, right? You turn it into like a spiritual thing. But we do, we do want to, we do want to open up this time now before the message to be able to have a time of prayer. And this month we are focusing on family. And so um, I believe that one of the things that I tragically see is a lot of people are related to people, but they're not intimate with them. There's a lot of people you know that's in your family, but there are things holding your family back from connection. And so one of the things I want to talk about briefly as we get ready for prayer is forgiveness. And I believe that forgiveness really is a stronghold in many families. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Right before that, he talked about having daily bread. If you owed me $5, I can forget about it. It's on me. If you owed me $5,000, I can't forget about it. In fact, the next time I saw you, I wouldn't think about you. I'd think about my money. And I would say, you owe me. And now the debt would define the relationship. And there are people in your life who have taken joy from you. They've taken peace from you. They've taken memories from you. They've hurt you. And within the family context, it is crushing our ability to be free. But if you notice in the text, he says, forgive us our debts first before we can forgive our debtors. If you are a son here today, which is all the dudes, if you're a son, would you stand with me? If you're a son. All the sons in the house, would you stand with me? All the men in the house, just stand with me. Sons, let's look to our Father. Heavenly Father, we receive your forgiveness. We are your children, and you're a good Father. As sons, we receive the forgiveness of God. For all of our sins, you've forgiven us. For every lie we've told, for our lack of integrity, For the way that we've hurt and abused people, you've forgiven us. We receive the forgiveness of God. 
We've had things in our thoughts, things in our mind, things in our hearts. God, we receive the forgiveness of God. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Thank you, God, that I don't have to worry about what you think about me. Thank you, God, that you pour your forgiveness. You've, you've tossed our sins as far as the east is from the west. Thank you, God, for forgiving us of our sins. But as I receive forgiveness, God, would you help us right now, all the sons in here, to think about their families? And would they offer the forgiveness of God to people they know right now? I want you to think about names right now. No, no, no. Don't, don't, don't start forgiving people till you receive the forgiveness of God. Don't distribute something you don't have. Receive the forgiveness of God. Now give it. Think about who you need to forgive. Think about who, you're, so who owes you. Who have you defined the relationship? Receive the forgiveness of God and give it out. Give out the forgiveness of God. Think of names. Think of games. Pour a sea of forgiveness in this room, God. And let it flow from this building into the neighborhoods and into the cities. Now, if you're a daughter, would you stand with me? Daughters, just stand with me. Oh, Father, our beloved sisters, God, remind them of what Christ did on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. For every daughter walking in shame, for every daughter walking in guilt, for every daughter confused about uh, uh, an earthly father, remind them they have a heavenly father that sits high and looks low and wants a relationship with them. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so for every doubt, for every ounce of fear, for everything that we have felt like we are in some way been angry with God or we think God is angry with us, receive the forgiveness of God. Know that you are forgiven. Don't walk out of here not knowing you've been forgiven by the loving and living God. But my dear sisters, as daughters of the living God, would you think of people right now you need to forgive? Would you think of names that you just, they have a debt and you're just holding it up? When you think of their name, you define them by the debt. I'm not, I'm not talking about being in relationship with someone. I'm talking about offering them forgiveness, not holding something over them anymore. Right now, think of names. Think, now, don't, don't give something you don't have. First receive, then you give. First receive, then you give. First receive, then you give. First you gotta receive the forgiveness of God, then you gotta get it. Now will we all just lift our hands up right now? Father, we love you. Father, let us be a sea of forgiveness in this room. Let us be a people of forgiveness in this room. Don't let anyone around me think I'm holding something over them. Uh, no, we're not talking about being in a relationship. We're just talking about forgiving those. And not because we're nice people. Not because we're kind. We forgive because we've been forgiven. So in the mighty name of Jesus, make us a people of forgiveness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Would you give God praise right now for his forgiveness? You may be seated. You may be seated. Amen. 
Well, we do want to make you aware uh, by way of announcement that um, we have been so grateful for uh, the giving of this church. Uh, we dynamically gave in the All Nations Initiative. Some of you know we have a, a organization called Pray March Act, which is our justice organization. We have some sweatshirts in light of Black History Month uh, here today. Now, praise God. Now, the sweatshirts normally go for $47, amen? But in light of two things, one, um, uh, uh, we, you have given so well, and we want to just praise God for you. And we, we would also like to get rid of them. Um, we, want, uh, we want you to, storage is a lot of money. Um, so they are in the back. So look at the back there. James and um, Karina back there. You'll go back there, and we're just asking for a $5 donation. Yes, $5, $5 donations. Yes. That means you can get multiple. Now, I do, want, I do want you to know, I do want you to know, we have an inordinate amount of triple X and double XL, so if you got, a, you got a big cousin, just get that, get it for him, get it for him. If, if, you, are, if, you, if, you, if you are large and in charge like myself, you're blessed. Uh, for my medium people, we're, we, they're going to go fast. So uh, what we'll do is we'll open up, we'll, <laughs> we'll open up the door right here. So if you're just leaving, you can go out that way, that middle door, we'll open that up. Um, but uh, out here, we're just going to have the sale of those sweatshirts. Again, we're just taking donations for them. You can get multiple. We're we have about 350 sweatshirts there. So we, we, wanna, we want to encourage you. I don't have the announcement up there, but if you are uh, married here today or if you are engaged, uh, my wife and I are doing a uh, marriage conference in the Bronx, and that is coming up this weekend, this weekend, uh, February 17th and 18th. Now, next weekend is date night. That's for our church, but part of our ministry is we do a marriage conference called The Power of Us, and that's in the Bronx. Uh, and you would go to powerofus.nyc, and that's a two-day conference. Uh, not just a one-night event. And then, of course, we have date night, which we spoke of, and that will be happening next weekend up there. There will be a DJ. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> well, we've been talking about hope, and one of the things that I am very aware of in my time with many of you all sitting down, getting to know you all, that I, I know that in this room there are varying levels of hope. In other words, there are some of you that are leaning into the future with excitement and optimism, and there are some of you that look at the future and think it's nothing more than a rehearsal of the past. You have had burdens, you have had tragedy, and you have been uh, under some pain. And because of that, hope is a very difficult thing for you. Some of you are hope full. And yet some of you are hopeless. And my, my goal in this series is that you would learn not to become a more optimistic person. In fact, my desire is that you would put your hope in a whole another person, in the concrete character of a holy God. Instead of just trying to be optimistic, I want you to see God altogether differently. Now, it is with that in mind, I want to remind you that uh, scientists say that hope can be taught. Dr. Chad Hellman, the director of the Hope Center in Oklahoma, said that hope is not a feeling. In fact, 
Hope is a way of thinking. So just as you teach a child two plus two equals four, you can teach people to hope. Then we talked about how the hemness, the hemness, Jenny Wilson said, time is filled with swift transition. None on earth unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal and then hold to God's unchanging hand. With that in mind, the hymnist is saying you can build hope. The scientist is saying you can learn hope. Well, what does the Bible have to say about how I can have more hope than I currently have right now? Well, Romans 15 and 13 says, may the God of hope. What is he? The God of what? He's the God of hope. So if you want to know hope, you need to get to know this God. He's the God of hope. He's the God of hope. And the God of hope can fill you. Think about that. The God of hope can fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in what? Hope. The God of hope can fill you so much so that you can abound in hope. If you are believing in the truth, character, and availability of God, the Spirit of God can take you from wherever you're at, regardless of circumstances, and you can walk away being abounding with hope, regardless if you are in pain. Circumstances do not indicate the amount of hope you should have. Rather, you can be filled up with a person, and this person changes the trajectory of the way that you think about your future. Filled with hope. We said lastly that what is hope then? William Carey said it this way, hope is when you expect great things from God. Say that with me. Expect great things from God. Do you currently expect great things? Things from God. We're not talking about earth. We're not talking about you. We're not talking about jobs. We're not talking about money. We're saying, I know a God who loves me. And because I am connected to this eternal, transcendent, dynamic, holy being who is in control, I have hope. I expect great things from the living God. Is that where you're at today? If it is not, you can build it, you can learn it, and you can be filled with it. Amen? Amen. Well, Peter, if you turn with me to the book of 1 Peter, that's what Peter is trying to do. Peter is trying to get you filled up with hope. And the way he wants to do that is he's wanting to take these Christians who are being persecuted and oppressed because they are exiled, meaning they are spread out away from Jerusalem, away from their homeland, where they would be most comfortable. They're in very difficult circumstances. So he's trying to encourage them. Look here with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of of Jesus Christ from the dead. Got to unbutton my tie. I'm about to preach. (laughs) 
Notice what he says there right in the beginning. Blessed be the God and Father. Now, when the phrasing blessed be is there in the text, you have to understand that that is a phrase used all throughout the Old Testament. Melchizedek said it. Uh, The servants of Isaac said it. Women in reference to Boaz said it. David said it. Blessed be. And when they're saying blessed be, essentially what they're saying is praise God for what he's done. It is a phrasing being used for you to end in praise. That's why the next thing he says is according to. In other words, what Peter wants to do is get you to praise God and bless God because of facts you know about God. If you want a greater intensity of praise, have greater information about what he's done. He's saying if you want to be filled up, be filled with the facts. Know the facts of what he's done. Know what he's done for you and know who he is right now. Because if you know who he is and what he's done, you cannot sustain your praise. So that's why he says, according to, in light of. Did you know this? Well, he says, facts. He's been merciful. He's been merciful to us. Look what he says. He says, according to. His great mercy. It, it, one of the things that um, we did last week was we, we talked about being chosen by God before the foundation of the world based on his foreknowledge. You remember that from the verse before last week, First Peter verse 2? He says to those elect exiles, right? And then he says in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father. Now, if you read that in verse 2, my theologians in the building, you naturally will ask yourself, why did God choose me and not my neighbor? In fact, I was asked by a few people, you know, I'm really wrestling with this chosen thing. You know, I've, I've heard some people debate that. I'm like, well, why are you debating when it's right here? No, the, the, the question is not If God chooses, the question you should leave from the text is, why did God choose me? That's what you should be wondering. Why would you choose me? That is an intense question. And because we don't like the idea of choosing, we try to put some kind of dynamic we've done in the human element in order to say it's something I had to do because it just can't be his sovereignty. So what we'll say is, well, why did God choose you and not your neighbor? And you'll say, well, I believe, but why didn't they believe? You'll say, well, well, I repented, but why didn't they repent? You'll say, well, I was open to learning, but why weren't they open to learning? Well, I was going through a tough time. Your neighbor ain't been through a tough time? Why are you here today? Why did you lift your hands? Why are you in love with God? And there are people you grew up with, people you know that know the same information you do, and they are currently rejecting the living God. So you should ask yourself, why did God choose me? Now, the reason why this catches people up is because 
We don't understand God's mercy. What the author Peter is trying to do is after he talks about being chosen and foreknowledge, he said, let's praise him because if anything, the only reason why we're in a relationship with God is mercy. Not just being chosen. See, um, sometimes when we think of being chosen by God, we think of being selected by God. Do you remember um, being in school, eight or nine years old? And do you remember that moment when the teacher asked a question and you knew the answer? And you, wrote, you raised up your hand because she said, raise your hands. But you weren't sure you were going to get her attention. So what'd you do? What'd you do? You made that sound. Remember that sound? You're like, ooh, 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 ooh. Ooh, Ms. Jenkins, Ms. Jenkins. Ooh, 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 ooh. Then she picks somebody else. You'd be like, she's stupid. Right? Like, ooh, I want to be chosen. We act like the world's like, ooh, I want God. We act like the world's like, ooh, 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 I want to worship. When you think of being chosen by God, you're beginning with the idea of selection. You've got to start with people rebelling and then God having mercy. You see, that, that's, that's what God is doing on earth. He's choosing people that don't want him. Why don't, you, why don't you stand up with me real quick? Stand up, stand up, stand up. Now y'all come up, come on here. Y'all, all y'all, all y'all, come on, come on. Yeah, you're like, not me. Yes. <laughs> come on, come on. No, no, no. Don't look face them. Face me. Face me. Face me. Everybody face me. Face me. Now I want y'all to just charge me. No. No. Come on, do that. No. no. Not y'all. Not y'all. No. Them. No. Them. No. 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 Now, does this feel, does this feel like people open to wanting me? Now keep doing it. Keep doing it louder. When I hug you, when I hug you, no, no, keep doing it. When I hug you, you're gonna start saying yes individually. No, but I'm gonna hug you. I'm gonna hug you. Start saying yes. Saying yes. 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 Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Start saying yes. Start saying yes. Start saying yes. No. No. Okay. 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 Start saying. Start saying yes. Start saying yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Now see, now see, now see, this isn't, this isn't people, this isn't people just wanting God. This is us. And this is the world. And God in his mercy, I'll hug you. Yes. Go sit down, go sit down, go sit down. You act like the world is saying, yes, 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 yes. The world is saying, no, no, I don't want anyone to lead my life. I'd rather define you as the universe to take away your personality and your holiness. Because in the end, it's not about being an atheist. It's not about being spiritual. It is about not wanting a Lord over my life. So you just have to know, before, before we start talking about how you came in a relationship, let's talk about who you were before the relationship. And let's start with mercy. Wouldn't that want, make you want to praise God 
for what he's done in your life. So he says, bless him because he's been merciful to you. Well, he goes on to say, blessed be the God of Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again. Born again. So notice here, after speaking of the great mercy of God, he says not only has he been merciful for us, but a second fact that should fill our heart is that God changed our hearts before he changed our behavior. The, the phrasing born again, when you hear it, you, you should think briefly about John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, that's when Nicodemus came to him at night. Notice in John 3 verse 2, it says, A man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, no, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? What you have to understand about that phrase, born again, is Nicodemus, when he came to Jesus, he wanted to know, how is it that you teach with such authority? Clearly, you're from God. And Jesus does not talk about the way he teaches. He talks about, no, 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 Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Here's what Nicodemus wanted. Nicodemus is like, I'm a teacher, you're a teacher. Boy, I sure would like to teach like you. Give me the technique to teach like you. Another way I've been putting that is, I'd like to be under your tutelage so I could be like you and teach like you. Essentially what Nicodemus is saying is, I'll relearn everything I know. Would you just let me start again? I'll go back and I'll sit with you and learn from you. I'd love to start again. Jesus says, no, 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 you can't start again. you got to be born again. And understand that Nicodemus' posture is often the posture of people wanting a relationship with God. Life has treated them in a way where things have not worked. Their emotions, their family, things have not worked. So they're going to try now Jesus so things would work. But here's the only problem. Oftentimes, people want a relationship with God to have a better life. So they figure, I'll start again with Jesus. Understand, if you, if you start again, you might have new goals spiritually. You might, get a, you might get a new Bible. You might get a new church. New friends, Christian friends. That's good. But understand that starting again Without this one needed element, you'll have no power in your walk with God. We're not start again Christians. We're born again Christians because he transforms our hearts. You don't just need a new Bible. You don't just need a new church. You don't need just new friends. You need a new heart. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, For this is the covenant that I will make with my house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I'll write it on their hearts. 
and I'll be their God and they will be my people. He performs a transplant on our hearts so our affections change. And so we start loving him because we know I've been changed by him. I see my whole life differently now. Has that happened to you? Have you had a transformation? Because when you know God has transformed you in the beginning of the relationship, you'll realize that pretty much defines the whole relationship. Transformation and change. One thing that I've learned about start again Christians that they love to learn, but they hate to change. They're like, I didn't sign up to change. I signed up to get a house. Amen. I signed, <laughs> signed up to get, I'm here for a new life. What they're saying is I want a better life. And God doesn't guarantee you a better life. He, he guarantees you a new heart. Now you got to sit with that. Because you will create expectations on God he never promised you. Start again, Christians come, and they're like, man, I just want, I want new, this fresh. And I, wow, I like your teaching. I like the way you spin it. That's very encouraging. And I'm, and I'm saying, if you don't have a relationship with a God who transformed your heart, you'll miss that this is about affections growing. They used to sing, I know I've been changed. And that begins with that. Do you know that he changed you? but not that you just had personal human effort. But the God of the universe transformed your life. So the, the second fact that he says here is, you've been born again. He's transformed you. But the other fact that he says is, this transformation now pushes us into a living hope. Look what he says here. He says, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope. But I want you to notice what he balances it with. He says, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Living hope, resurrection from the dead. Notice what he's trying to communicate. Our hope is alive. Because Jesus is alive. A dead man came back to life. And it is because of that, that the resurrection now becomes your signpost. It becomes a mile marker. It's like the Batman signal up there saying, because this happened, I can hope in you. Regardless of what happens. Because he lives. I can face tomorrow. You see, the resurrection is the picture in my mind that I must remind myself as a dynamic fact that no matter how dark the situation is, there will be a brighter day. Have you um, had a dark day before? I didn't say a bad day, a dark day. You know there's a difference, right? You have bad days. We're talking about dark days. Our darkest days tend to be the days when the 100% unexpected happened. You know what I'm talking about, dark days. 
Some of you have been rejected by people you were just trying to do something kind for. Some of you have been rejected by family, friends, coworkers, and yet you were trying to do something kind for them. Rejected, dismissed, unnoticed. Some of you have had a dark day like that. Some of you are in a dark day right now where you feel like there are people you're trying to love and they just keep rejecting you. Makes you feel alone and isolated. That's a dark day. Some of you have been betrayed. Oh, betrayal is a tough thing, isn't it? Because betrayal says, I trust you, and a person uses that trust for their own means against you. Have you ever been betrayed before? You're like, this is, this is not, I can trust this person. Then you come out and you're like, and then you start not trusting anybody, right? you like living in suspicion. Like, hey, how you doing? Don't talk to him. <laughs> Heal the betrayed people, God. Betrayed. And when you found out that person you trusted betrayed you, that was a dark day. They did what? They said what? I said, I can't get that out of my head. Have you ever been accused of something that is diametrically opposed to anything you've ever been about? Like, isn't that a crazy feeling? Like, you did this, like, I would never do that. Have you ever had people slander your name? Say you're something you are completely the opposite of. Wasn't that a dark day? Didn't it make you go crazy in your mind when people just kept saying your name and the reality was it was not based upon your character? It make you go crazy. It's a dark day. Some of you have been abused physically you have faced the weight of someone trying to oppress you and hurt you. Some of you have been physically abused, where they maybe have trusted a person and they, they hurt you. Some of you have been verbally abused. And you walked away so confused, so hurt. And that was a dark day. Some of you, beyond rejection and betrayal and accusations and abuse, some of you have been confused about your relationship with God. Because in all this, like, do, do you see the betrayal, God? Okay, where are you then? Did you see how that person abused me? Okay, where are you? One of the most dynamic and intense feelings is when you're confused about someone you trust particularly God himself. Have you ever had a moment when you've been confused about the presence and power of God while trusting him? And those are dark days. And some of you walked in here with a very dark cloud over you because of some of those things. But the darkest day you could imagine is if you were innocent of something and you were murdered. I mean, think about 
the last five, seven years within our country, much of what we have been doing within our communities for justice has been when innocent people have been murdered. And we thought to themselves, no, 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 and we would say, say their name. Because they did not deserve to be killed. My friends, that would be your darkest day. If someone took you out while you were doing nothing wrong. And Jesus is our signpost. He's our signpost for hope because he was rejected. They said a prophet is not respected in his hometown. They said there were certain cities he went into he could not do miracles in because people were rejecting him while he could transform their life. They rejected him. He was betrayed, sold for silver by someone he was with for three years. And he was accused, accused of being a blasphemer. They said, you say you're the son of God. And he actually was. They accused him of blasphemy. And then there was abuse. They tortured him. They beat him. They spit upon him and they crucified him. And that was a dark day. But it was the darkest when he gave up his last breath. And before he did that, he was confused. Look what he says in Matthew 27, 46. At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus in that moment is overwhelmed with the pain he's in, crying out from the Psalms, acknowledging, where is God? And then he gives up his last breath. But as a song said when I was growing up, that's not how the story ends. Three days later, he rose again. That's love. Listen, that's not how, you cannot define Jesus by betrayal, accusation, or rejection. We define him by the wrecks and resurrection. Three days later, he rose again. Oh, that was a dark day. That was a dark day. That was a, that's pretty dark in here. But I know there was a brighter day because he rose again. He defeated the worst enemy. And the reason why he says it's a living hope, because Jesus is alive. And he is alive right now. So you must not look at the resurrection as something I look at just to praise Jesus for in the past. In your darkest day, you can praise the living God who can give you hope for the next season you're going into. And then if that season doesn't work out, you can put hope in God for the next season. And if that doesn't work out, you can put hope in God for the next season. And if that doesn't work out, you can put hope in God for the next season. But I want to tell you, if all the seasons don't work out, you have an eternal hope that you don't have to think that this life defines how you should have your hope. No matter how dark the days become, you have something greater and grander to put hope in. See, oh man, I, I can't go into that right now. Praise God. 
I just want to say this real quick. Look what he says here in 1 Peter 1.4. He says, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now I got to say this quickly. These are persecuted, oppressed people who've been rejected and exiled. And because of that, they do not have much in this life they can hold their hands to. Listen, listen, listen. These people, many of them are Jewish, and they understand what a promised land is. And they understood the land of Canaan. But they, those that were in the promised land, were rejected, and they were caused to go into exile. They couldn't keep the promised land. Now, many of these Jews... That was from their history, but many of these Jews, they would have wanted to be in Jerusalem, but they couldn't guard Jerusalem. Jerusalem got taken over by Romans. So they, though they wanted a land of their own, right now they are exiled. The very thing that they wanted, they've been kicked out of. And what he's trying to say is, though you do not have the land you want, there is something, even though you weren't able to guard it, there is something that you don't have to worry about guarding. It's kept for you. This is an inheritance that you can't lose. Like you lost that land, you can't lose this inheritance. He's trying to give them something that's deeper than any earthly or temporal inheritance. You see, an inheritance, my dad and my dad's 80, and we start talking about inheritance. And and when he tells you what the inheritance is, I don't have to beg for it, it's mine. So, what is yours from your father? One of the dynamic things that American Christianity's done is we've turned health, wealth, marriage, and kids into an inheritance. We've turned it into an earthly inheritance where we're saying, God, you owe me. And unfortunately, we've made this God into a God that means that you must give me success as if success is our inheritance. Let me tell you something. Even when you get success, it will not satisfy your heart. There's another side to success. It's the sadness after the success. They don't talk to you about that. If you came to Ecclesiastes Bible study, we talked about it there. All that, y'all know. Listen, it's, it's the other side of success. They don't put, they don't mark it. You see, that's why, listen, that's why he says not only can it not be stolen, but it won't rust. It won't fade. The thing that you're dreaming of one day will come rusty and fade. You you, you want the thing you want right now. You won't want the same thing way when you get it. Just give it about a week, a month, a year. And that's why he's saying, no, no, no. I've got an inheritance that will not rust, spoil or fade. It, It is kept for you. Maybe you're hopeless because you've built your hope on temporal success. Jenny Wilson said, build your hopes on things eternal. Eternal. That's how you're filled with hope. You're filled with hope because he was merciful to me. He transformed me. He gave me a living hope that's in eternity kept for me. And he says, for salvation yet to come, one day I will be with him. But lastly, to hope in God is a battle for your heart. 
It's not just a mental assent. You've got to believe. You've got to trust. And the only way that you can ignite hope is through faith. Not just knowing the facts, but trusting in God. Believing with all your heart. He lastly says, this treasure is being guarded by God's power through faith. It's through faith that they are guarded. Notice, notice what um, Peter is doing here. He's saying, this inheritance, it's kept for you, but the way that you are guarded is through your personal faith. You will be attacked constantly to lose hope, to lose trust in God. And he's saying the way that you keep it is by continually using the power of your faith to constantly trust again and again. That's how you're filled with hope. You're guarded by faith. You believe in those things and you trust. Anybody heard of a guy named Jalen Hurts before? Jalen Hurts? He's a quarterback. Excellent quarterback. He is uh, uh, MVP, MVP candidate, right? Second in line for the MVP. Uh, Eagles, I think, are going to do really well today, right? Jalen Hurts will probably have a great game. What they won't tell you is about a man named Jordan Melata. The brother is 6'8", 365. He is, that's him pictured next to Jalen Hurts. He is one of the largest offensive linemen in the league. The man is tremendous. <laughs> Anybody heard of a guy named Patrick Mahomes? Yeah. Very good quarterback. I think we'll have a really good game. What they, won't, what they won't tell you about is a guy named Orlando Brown. Orlando Brown is 6'8", 363. He's a tremendous human being. <laughs> One of the things that you may not understand about football is every play that is ran is ran with an understanding that the quarterback will be protected. And you only have to go a couple Super Bowls back to see Patrick Mahomes is gifted. But when he didn't have an offensive line, he looked a mess. Some of you have been thinking about how gifted am I? But you must be guarded by your faith. When you have a play, you have this huge human being in front of you. And if I want to go one way, I got to make sure I get behind him. And he actually opens up holes for me. So now I can move through. If you don't go with the guard in front of you, you will get destroyed. And unfortunately, we live in a world that focuses all on your gifting. But if you only focus on your gifting, you'll be unguarded, destroyed, thrown away and cast aside. But saints, 6'8", Mr. Malata, and 6'8", Orlando Brown, I would feel very protected around them. Amen? 
If you want to do something great, you have to have big faith, tremendous faith. And with that faith, you must believe in your darkest day. See, the definition of great faith isn't when things are going well. The definition of great faith is in the darkest day. And how do I fill myself up? Saints, you got to preach to yourself. See, see, you want to do great gifted things, but you got a 5-2 guard. 150. Oh, scrawny brother, like, we're going to do this. Do you understand? Some of you have great gifting, but little faith. And that's why, and so because you have little faith, you put your hope in the wrong things. And the way that you increase your faith is you keep reminding yourself of the truth of God. You keep filling your mind with the facts. But listen, fill your mind with the facts in the dark moments. Do you understand what I'm trying to tell you? It is within the darkest moments that you've got to tell yourself, you've got to preach you got to preach to yourself. It's going to be a brighter day. No matter how dark this morning, I have been betrayed. I've been accused. I've been talked about. I've been confused. But I will still believe because of the resurrection. There's a brighter day coming. There's a brighter season coming. And if, and if it's not next week, it'll be next year. And if it's not next year, it'll be two years. And if it's not two years from now, when I go home, I'll be in the brightest day of all. Now look, look, we about to, be turn, we about to become a choir because you got to learn how to encourage yourself, amen? You got to learn how to encourage yourself. So looking, look, 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 look. Start it, start it. Come on, come on. We hope today's message was encouraging to you. We would love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. If this message was impactful to you today, please send us an email info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handles on our social media platforms is Bridge Church NYC. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you are in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services on Sundays are at 11 a.m. and the address is 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.